Welcome to the Commission Client Podcast. These are the real and raw stories of people that use their health success and struggles to better lead and serve others. If your goal of getting healthy is to have a static achievement, you will always come up short. Instead, find purpose in your health gains and be commissioned to better serve your purpose. I'm your guide and host, Dr. Kurt Perkins, introducing you to the real heroes in healthcare, the people just like you. Thanks for listening. All right, and we have Jordan today, and I think out of kind of many of my clients, you have the original, or probably the highest purpose um, that you put regarding your health. Um, you've gone through probably some of the biggest struggles out of any clients I've ever had. And if you're not on your A game or close to it, then a lot fell through the cracks. And not fun stuff. Um, and I don't know, like, I think you could probably tell this journey the best out of out of both of us since you lived it. So if, I don't know if you, how deep you want to go into it. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, so... I was thinking, you know, uh, one of the, I was trying to think how long has it been since I've been seeing you. So as a family, we've been seeing you for a little over eight years, maybe almost nine. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, you you were not even your own building. So, <laughs> um, but you know, you came and spoke at the MOPS group that I was in, and I just remembered thinking, that's something that we need. Um, you know, probably about the time that we met, I think my husband at the time had been diagnosed with brain cancer for maybe about six months or so, maybe not quite a year. Um, but obviously our goal was to fight and survive yeah. um, and come out on top. And so... Um, and I want to clarify, like, you weren't using me as cancer treatment. Like he had already gone through no. treatment and things yeah, like that. Yeah, he'd already been through his um, his surgeries, uh, his first round of treatments. I think we were trying to find a way to better um, probably the morale in our household. I think was the yeah was the biggest thing. I had an almost two year old at the time. She so, was that young. Yeah. It's crazy to see her now. And- <laughs> yep. And she was that little when I met you guys. Um, yeah. So yeah, so he was post, at least when I started with you guys, he'd already gone through chemo or radiation or whatever treatment it was for the, right. um, in yeah. remission and looking just to kind of support health. But that meant a lot fell on you. Exactly. Yeah. I think, um, well, from the day that he was diagnosed and ended up in the hospital so traumatically um everything just fell on me all of a sudden and I was you know a young mom I was was in my 20s <laughs> and had a little kid a toddler at home and just never thought that you would be looking at living life without your without her dad and without my husband um I think our biggest concern was knowing that we had almost a year and a half of treatments ahead of us. And the last thing I wanted to do was have him ingest any more drugs than was necessary. And I really wanted to keep us out of the hospital. And, you know, crazy enough at the time, keeping us out of the hospital 
was a financial thing versus anything else. I just, the hospital bills were horrendous. And I thought maybe if we can stay out of the hospital, this will be cheaper. So that was kind of what, honestly, that's the first thing that drew me to this. I was like, if this could keep us out of the hospital, then I'll do it. So that's, I mean, that's ultimately what I'm hoping people (laughs) shift to. It's not not common that people coming in are looking at me as like, hey, this could be a cost savings down the road for something else. I think after the fact, people are like, oh, I'm spending, I don't have all these stupid co-pays for regular doctor's visits. I don't have all these things. That's interesting that your motivation was if we can stay out of the hospital, then we can save a buttload on those deductibles and everything. Yeah, and honestly, my perception of the hospital cancer wing was death. And um, I think that I just didn't ever want him in there. So that was that was a huge motivation for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. Did you look at your, your health as I need to be on my A-game or was it more just that like in the crisis mode? That... So, so funny enough, when we, when he was in the hospital, um, he had just like, he had finished his surgeries and so this was before I'd heard your, before I'd met you, but um, I came home and I had to drive up and down from Denver every day, and I literally went into our kitchen pantry and tossed out, I think pretty much everything that was in my pantry, and I was like, "This is causing cancer. This is causing cancer," and you know his surgery was almost twelve hours long, so. Um, I did a lot of Googling (laughs) and just did a lot of reading, and I was pretty discouraged. So we did the whole cold turkey route. Yeah. I I just walked home and threw everything out. And at the beginning of this, it was all for Greg. I was not even thinking about myself or Kaylee. Yeah. In fact, the crazy thing is I considered myself pretty healthy up until the day that I started emptying my cupboards and... I was like, oh, this stuff is not the best thing for me, you know. Um, But what started as something just to save Greg and to survive turned into this a family, um, like this quest almost. Like it's it's turned into a whole different lifestyle and quest that I would have never imagined. So when you're ripping your cupboards apart... Like, was that the first you ever had of, like, any connection between cancer or nutrition or things like that? Or have people been, been feeding you information or did you see any resources or just, like, that day he's in surgery and you're like, I'm going to Pretty much it Google. was just, like, he's in surgery. This is ridiculous. He's not even 40. Yeah. I think that something's wrong here. And just started just Googling and... Um, I did have a friend at the time who was a really big um, wheat belly advocate, and she was reading a bunch of his stuff, and and so, um, anyways, she was talking about like the negative effects of wheat and yeah. grains and on us and everything, and so I thought, well, maybe I should go check this out for myself. So that was that's kind of where I started. Okay. But yeah. That's probably. <laughs> At the time of recording this, probably three or four people, that's a lot of them, their first step has actually been wheat belly. It's kind of their first eye-opening to a nutrition kind of component to 
to health and function and all that type of stuff. Yeah, and I think just uh, people started talking about um, one of the articles I read talked about shopping the outsides of the aisles and not going up and down the insides of the aisles because yeah. that's where all the boxes and cans are. And I'd never thought about that before. You know, and at the time, where did we shop? What was the cheapest way to shop? Or at least what did I think was the cheapest way to shop? Right. Um, not so much as I'm learning. But, yeah. Yeah. So... Greg comes home from surgery and like cupboards are like <laughs> cleaned out. Like, how, how was that transition? The, the cold turkey. So from he a kind of a totally, farm boy. Yeah, I was like, he's just like this Midwestern farm boy. Like, grew up on meat and potatoes and rice and um, and you know, the, the whole irony about all of this is his family is is they're wheat farmers. Uh huh. <laughs> So, um, so it was quite a, a change. And I think, um, for Greg, you know, all of a sudden, you know, serving vegetables and things that, and not out of a can also, it was just a, it was, it was a pretty big thing. So I kind of went all crazy and then we had to kind of come back into the middle. And so yeah. that's when, that was probably the first time when we started buying organic. Gotcha. And just learning like, okay, if we're going to eat this, we might as well eat it organically. And then maybe several months down the road, I was like, oh, I should probably read the labels even on organic mm. products. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that was kind of that, um, Greg was a really good sport though and yeah took it in stride and I I don't think that he enjoyed it very much at the beginning but um I would just tell him well if it keeps you here a day longer then right. not this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And so he I think he just kind of buckled down and did it. How was the transition for a toddler? So here's what's crazy. Maybe I was eating like crap and Greg was eating like crap. But the minute that Kaylee was born, I was I made her baby food, and um, I mean I did the whole thing like buy all the stuff, steam it, puree it, yeah, no sugars or anything. And so, oddly enough, my kid had never had processed sugar, <laughs> um, really for the most part, because even when I would drop her off in daycare or something, I would make sure that they didn't give her crackers or. So it's funny how I was um, very aware of that <laughs> with her as a baby. So, so like, okay, because most are like, it's not so much the adults they're worried about, it's the kids' transition and like the whining and complaining and tantrums and all of that. But I have more problems with that now with her. As a teenager. <laughs> as a teenager than I do with her as a little kid. Okay. Like, you know, she just... Now I'm learning I can't control what she eats at school every day. Yeah. Um, and we try to talk about healthy choices and 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 why it's a good choice. Because um, I want it to be her choice. Right. You know, but um, I think the peer pressure is real when you're 12 and 13. <laughs> Just everyone else is eating it and so. Right. Yeah. And school cafeterias don't exactly offer, uh, they have a salad bar. Yeah. But that's, even the smoothies 
have ice cream in them. Oh. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> nah. So with going through kind of the oncologist and everything with, with Greg, did they ever talk about nutrition or any connection with that? Yes. So I do have to say, I feel like we had one of the best oncologists. So we had several oncologists. I have to clarify that. We always, we had a neuro-oncologist and a whole team that went behind that. Yeah. And then we had the general oncologist here in Colorado Springs. And he was phenomenal. Um, they actually, in order for Greg to not take synthetic vitamins, I had to go through a course, a nutritional course that educated me on why the, um, patients needed vitamins during their treatments. And uh-huh. so, um, because what I was trying to say was I would rather get a supplement from you yeah. right, than get a synthetic, um, over, you know, something that I have to pick up at the pharmacy, at the pharmaceutical counter. Right. So I did have to go through um, two sessions of things to learn about nutrition. Um, I think that of all all the places that we were at, I feel like the whole CU Health thing is trying yeah. to do, you know, incorporate the nutrition in. Um, so CU being Colorado University, yeah. the health system there. Yeah. The whole health system, um, they've, I think they're trying, but clearly, but it's still, you know, um, it's, it's almost offered like a, just like a supplement. So, you know, you're going to be doing this and this might, they would use it as like an energy. Like an adjunct or like yeah. a supportive type of thing. Yeah. So not like the main thing. Which I still felt was better than nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, But it is kind of discouraging when you hear them tell you, now, during your, um, your, uh, well, as a caregiver, during your person's treatment, don't administer, like, blueberries, for example, because the antioxidants in the blueberries will mess with the chemo. Oh. Things like that. Yeah. And then just learning to just nod and say yes I, I argued at the beginning and then I was like this is not this is futile so gotcha yeah so he comes home he's in recovery how was your health through that kind of crisis so I in the process of all of this I through the time that he was in treatment and and recovering and we were in and out of treatments for um for almost for about six and a half years i think um i did really pretty good one of the things that as a caregiver in my case i couldn't leave my home all the time so i learned to do in home at home workouts um and trying to get my exercise portion in that was kind of my release and my escape. And a lot of times it was done at night after everyone was in bed. Yeah. Um, and I felt like that helped a lot with my mental state. Um, I saw a huge increase in anxiety. And I had had generalized anxiety as a high schooler. 
And sometimes I wonder what the heck is that anyways. Like, I think we all have anxiety. Um, I just happen to be medicated for it for a while. Oh, okay. But um, the, the anxiety was probably the worst. Gotcha. Out of all of that. Um, the exercise, though, did help with that. And as I've been continuing to learn, diet has definitely... Yeah. Plays a huge part in that. Do you, I think you're an anomaly with the caregiver standpoint. Like, you actually had purpose, and it might be an age thing. Like, you're kind of in the millennial gap, where I would say most caregivers I'm taking care of now are going to be in the baby boomer generation, taking mm-hmm. care of a spouse with dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that. Like, like my mom type of thing. Right. Can you speak to that generation knowing what you've gone through as far as, like, the toll it takes? And if you don't keep up with it, like, what's going to be the effectiveness of taking care of that that spouse? Or Yeah, definitely. I So, for starters, it's very weird to be able to sit down and talk with people who are like my parents' age who are taking care of their parents and I can completely relate. Yeah. I, I have like and and in my case, it was like dealing with Alzheimer's or dementia. You know, I was dealing with not the not the same person that I had married yeah. for sure. Especially at the end. Um I think that now on the other side and just the effects that I'm feeling now, um, here I was thinking I was really doing such a great job of taking care of myself. And maybe I was. Had I not been doing what I was, maybe I would have crashed even harder. Right. But just the, the crashes and burns I've had in the last year or two years has been yeah. huge. Um, I think it's so important just to remember it's just the whole... The little things are just really important. And so, you know, if you're tired, you rest. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes that just means if you, if all you can do is just get up and put jeans on instead of sweatpants and take a walk around the block, then that's what you do. Um, But I think it's really important to really be aware of what you're doing now, even if you don't even see crisis or trauma on the horizon, that you're just taking care of yourself as if you we don't know what tomorrow holds. Right. So we should just care for ourselves so that when tomorrow happens, we're able to handle that. Yeah. So I guess just to kind of like catch people up to speed, like two years ago, he had a second round of like cancer returned, he passed away. Right. Um, and then a year ago, your sister passed away. So like you've had this yes. grief storm. And that's why I said like you're, you're probably the one that's had probably the hardest <laughs> journey out of all my clients just because more things keep happening. Now like something I've asked other people, how do you keep pushing through that? Like what's – I know we've had some conversations where it's been – pretty low but like how do you pull yourself out of that I'm just going to give up moment type of thing right so I am more and more convinced that um, 
God gave me my daughter first. <laughs> a really good reason. Because I think some days I really do just get up and function purely because of her. And she probably is the one thing that will always get me out of bed. And um, I will at least attempt to function just for her. Um, I think... Um, I'm not a quitter by nature. And so I just feel like even though... It doesn't really matter who you are. Something bad will always happen to, to, to anyone. And, and that's all relative. We all have something that happens that knocks us down to our knees or like our head. You know, we just get knocked down. But I think just knowing that there's a we're not just here by chance. There's a, there's a purpose and a reason that we're here, I believe anyways. And I think that it's just important to just get up and, and move. For me, like, my why really is my, is my daughter. Like, she, I want to be around a long time for her if I have anything to say about it. Yeah. And um, I want her to also see me um, fighting to live the best I think that I can live. I fall short from that on on many days, <laughs> many occasions. Um, and I also think like we should look at the little triumphs that we have in the midst of the defeat. You know, I think you and I were just talking like just this last couple, like just this last month. I haven't had, um, you know, how I've just been. I haven't landed in the doctor's office <laughs> this month. You know, for a sinus infection, for example. And I felt like that was a huge accomplishment yeah. to be able to like to be able to get through that without ha needing to go in and have a prescription, you know, get an antibiotic. Right. To me, that was a major, a huge hurdle. Yeah. Um, you know, I think my biggest discouragement in all of this has been like I've gained more weight than I probably have ever had in my life over the last two years. Yeah. So, and just in the process of having to work that yeah. through. So how do you balance the, I don't know, kind of the disciplines and those things with the grief? Like, Yeah, that's so hard because honestly, on the, on the really bad days, I don't care. And um, I think... Uh, some of it has been a mindset for turning from the I can't have whatever to I don't need this because it makes me feel sad or it makes me feel whatever. Yeah. And so um, in my case, it's just that's just been like a mental turnaround. Like I I don't I could have it, but would this make me feel better? Um, I never knew that I could be an emotional eater, but clearly I am. And um, and on that matter, like I think that just learning, um, learning that I could that I could be an emotional drinker. So if it numbs the pain, yeah, that's then fine. I'll drink it. But then learning that I don't, I, it's not that I can't have it. It's just that 
I don't want to have this because I get tired because I feel like crap. Yeah. You know, um, and that makes it easier to say no, I think, to, or maybe to cave in, you know, and I think it also releases the guilt that comes from when I do maybe have an ice cream or, um, I don't know. My friends make fun of me. When I say I'm splurging, it's really not probably not splurging. <laughs> like I go and have bean dip, you know, but I don't usually eat beans, you know. Right. And so just things like that, just knowing that that takes the guilt away from it. Yeah. I don't, it's not that I can't have it. It's just that I shouldn't because. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there any kind of like resources or just things you've learned I don't know throughout the years that you hold on to so it doesn't drive you to that tipping point or yeah so um I have started to learn to um I think it it's so important to say no and I don't know whatever that means for a person but you know for me currently it's um I cannot, I can't handle someone that's going through cancer right now, honestly. Yeah. It's just not something I can do. I don't handle it very well. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can't be there for that person or show support. It's just how I communicate it. Right. You know, so I think those are just like setting some good boundaries. Um, I feel like... Um, well, one of the things, I see it sitting on your table, but I've been going through Kelly Brogan's book. Okay. And just reading that, and that's been extremely encouraging because um, <clears throat> when when you go through grief, uh, the medical profession in general wants to give you an antidepressant, um, you know, so that you don't, you know, you can just function or you or if you don't have to feel... Um, but I think it's really important to feel. Yeah. And to and we all have to work through things, you know, going through a s- extremely long goodbye with my husband versus losing my sister very suddenly. That's so different. Yeah. Um and I think that grief is so often misinterpreted for depression and not that you can't be depressed I think during that but that's been a huge resource I just read that and I've I've liked her practical applications things yeah. like that um so that's been something I've been trying to work on cool so for those Kelly Brogan book a mind of your own yeah so that's that's a resource sitting on our coffee table here in the in the office um it's funny you bring up that grief and depression I don't know where I was listening to can't remember what book it was, but oh, it's gonna bug me. But anyway, he, the author, talked about how they changed the definition or changed the time frame of grief being depression. So, say mm-hmm. thirty years ago, no one would ever label it like until a year. Like so, after a year, like okay, maybe this person's depressed, and then they shortened that time frame up to like six months, and then three months. And now I'm hearing of people, someone dies in their family, and that week they're getting antidepressants, 
And so we're labeling normal states of emotional physiology as a disease. Right. And so did you have to fight like the antidepressant prescription battle or? Yes. So that's been, and that's probably something I've had to hold pretty firm in my stance to um, when, you know, when seeing a therapist, you know, and in that case, there, you know, there I am having issues and I'm distraught, you know, at times, right? Yeah. I think, what do they want to do? They want to alleviate that so that you rest and and relax, and but not realizing all the other issues that come up with taking those pills. And I had been on antidepressants when I was younger, so yeah. so I knew right away that was not something that I wanted to do, and I felt like, I might be depressed, but who doesn't get depressed from time to time? Like I just, sometimes I think maybe we all need to rethink what that word really means and and what does that look like? And and I'm not saying that people should not take antidepressants. There's there's a place and a time definitely for that. And I just think in my case personally, that's, I didn't need that just to sleep. And I didn't, and I didn't need that for the anxiety. What I needed to do was not drink and not eat crap. Yeah. It was a lot of it. And as, as soon as I cut that out, then I'm fine. Yeah. So, um, but that's, that's been a huge, um, a huge battle and not everybody I don't think is as vocal in their personalities. I have no issues saying no. I know some people, you know, they don't want to, they're looking, you know, they're looking at to the doctor to be their advocate. And maybe sometimes that's not the case. Gotcha. So where have you had to be your advocate? So I have noticed, especially with my daughter, that's that's been a big yeah. thing. Um, you know, just the choices that I've made for her as, as her mom regarding certain medical things um i feel like the nutrition side i've had to be my own advocate um forever and it's actually kind of discouraging now to see all of these like new fads coming you know like people are following certain diets and lifestyles that that we've been doing before it even had a name you know and um, now it's cool, so we're fine, <laughs> but <laughs> before it wasn't cool, yeah. you know, who doesn't eat grains and, you know, minimizes their carbon take through fruits and vegetables even, you know, that's right. just unheard of when you, you know, nine, nine years ago, yeah. people thought we were insane. So, um, I think that's. So when I go and see a doctor, which you do know is very, I have to be pretty desperate for me anyways, but I'm all about looking at the different options. Um, And that is one thing I I do have to say, like the, the doctors who were on Greg's team were very patient and always were attentive to new stuff that I would bring to their attention. Um, and knowing other people who didn't have the same experiences, I do feel like we really were blessed with the team of doctors that we had that were open-minded. Yeah. 
and not shut off to having um, other things. So how did you approach it with, so people listening, like if they're trying to approach a topic with the doctor, that's not in their wheelhouse, like something nutrition related or lifestyle related when they're like super treatment related, like how do you approach and bring that up so that there will be an opening conversation opposed to like just this clash of, of wills. Right. Because, you know, as the patient, you're sitting in there, you know, telling the doctor what to do is kind of, it, that is kind of what it feels like. Yeah. Um, I think. Or did they initiate it in your case? In our case, it was initiated by them. Um, there, it all started with, hey, we've seen a definite increase in patient um, health through following a nutrition guideline. And so that was something that we went. And that what that did is that opened the doors for me to say, you know, oh, hey, we see this functional medicine doctor and here's mm-hmm. what he does. And, um, you know, and thankfully, as you know, they were willing to like, you know, communicate with you or to have you know you guys were all on the medical plan yeah the treatment plan i know that that is definitely not the case for everyone but i feel like if you're gonna sit there and um bring that stuff to the doctor's attention i think it's great to come at it with a um maybe more as a question you know or a a thought like where we've been thinking about implementing this in addition to yeah. you know and in our case um i wholeheartedly still believe like radiation chemo the first time around that was the the way to go we we knocked it out you know he was cancer free for three years and and unfortunately the type of tumor he had um we knew that there was a possibility of clusters recurring. Yeah. And, you know, the second time around, there wasn't a whole lot of options. So I think, you know, just realizing that in our case, we took a very aggressive approach, but it was stage four. And so what do you do? Um, I just tell people to trust their guts. There's an intuition deep inside of all of us. Yeah. Um, so the nutrition part, I think a huge part in your health journey is your community. Like you've surrounded yourself with mm-hmm. good friends and, um, not played into isolation. What I'll see with like caretaker stuff is support groups. Did you ever do those things? I did a few. I never, unfortunately, I never had the ability to leave the house okay. to do that as much. Um, the, once he was in hospice, um, that was that was great because I did have, I had the ability, but then I was in a whole different group. You know, I was in with a group of people who we all were going through the same thing, which was, you know, the inevitable it, yeah. in a matter of short time. Um, but yeah, support groups are good. You know, I have two friends who if I go off the grid on social media for like 24 hours... They will call, and if I don't answer, I usually have somebody at the door just checking in on me. And I know that's, and I know not everybody has that, but um, but that's big because you know there's just sometimes you just need people to. The exhaustion is so real. 
Like, I feel like I'm still recovering from that, honestly. Like, I just, when I think about having to problem solve or take care of people of any kind, even as a parent, it's exhausting to me. Yeah. And, um... Anytime I have the chance to not have to solve the problem and someone else can do it for me, I'm so grateful. So I think that's, I think it's really important to realize that um, fatigue, it just emotional and, and in my case, it was, it was physical and emotional and mental. You know, I was lifting, I had to do a lot of lifting physically with Greg, Uh, the mental exhaustion that that takes. Um, and then, and then that causes all the emotional toll. And I think realizing just being very cautious, just aware that, um, like our, our everyday lives really affect us, you know, the choices that we're making and, and especially for caregivers, that's something that's just so important. You've just got to take care of yourself. In hindsight, there's things I would go back and even do differently, you know, just... Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really important. Um, I don't know. Before we were recording, we were talking about millennials type of thing. Yeah. So it's kind of off topic, but on topic as far as expectations in healthcare. And so... Yeah. I feel like you're, you're in the millennial group, but you expected things, but like work towards that. Is that normal? Yeah. So I know I look at this and I think, so I'm 37 and I, I feel, I actually feel like I have a hard time identifying with probably most millennials just in the sense that I think, man, you really don't know how good you've got it. You know, like you apply yourself and put like a lot more, like a little bit more effort into this. You you could really make something of it. I think what it was, we were talking about the health system, right? And like what yeah. millennials are, are looking for and are they, um, like, cause I feel like I, this is what I hear a lot is millennials want basically a different healthcare experience. So kind of want their doctors to listen. They want time with them different options they basically want like a functional medicine approach but want it paid for by the old approach like a traditional like third party payer system and i don't think i know politically like we're trying to argue whoever who's paying for healthcare, but it's not going to be sustainable in the long term yeah i think that's so i i just find that fascinating because i wonder okay me personally I'm at a point where I've seen the value of the functional medicine. And in our case, I think we've saved a lot, like thousands, honestly. Yeah. What I could be paying to go to. And then even in our case, our doctor moved into from private medicine into um, like the organized health system. The HMO stuff. Yeah. And so, so now, no longer, if you want to see him, you really have to call and make an appointment, you know, for months in advance. Yeah. Um, otherwise, there's like seven other doctors, and you don't know who you're going to see, and do they all have the same opinion, and <laughs> who knows? And um, 
I look at this and I tell people, they're like, well, who's your doctor? I'm like, well, it's Dr. Kurt Perkins. Like, <laughs> he sees this on a weekly basis. Like, if there's anybody who knows if anything's going on, it's going to be him. You yeah. know, like, he's going to know if something's not up or not right. Or, um, But we've also done enough things where I know that um, that it works. Maybe not as fast, but it's not masking. Yeah. Something it's actually taking care of, of the issue. Um, but I think, yes, I just wonder, you know, could, if we all could have this functional medicine approach, but, um, you know, and I get it. If you're a millennial, that, so we're talking people in their 20s, right? Right. Who probably... They're almost done with college or just out of college or in some sort of vocational field. They're, you know, they're probably not making the most yet that they could be making in their professional career. And so I can see why that's important. Like, um, I do think it's important. I like that I can set up an appointment and actually sit down and talk with you about things that bothering me and like that I don't feel good and we need to fix this <laughs> you know yeah. versus going to a doctor who's just like oh well this might be and we can try and yeah you know five visits later and you know forty dollar co-pays times five later right you know and then you're still not feeling any better off guard this year for sure um but just you know those couple of weeks ago trying to pull myself out um I'll tell you what I think just moving forward like putting one foot in front of the other it's a minute at a time you know for me well we were leaving town that day anyways but just to pull myself out of bed and come in for an adjustment was that was huge because I had to you know you had to, got to drive yourself there and yeah walk through the door and then you have to look like you have it mostly put together so that you know they don't think you're falling apart <laughs> and and just like going about your every day like that and that's exhausting too I think trying to um trying to hide what's really going on and so I think I've just decided I think sometimes it's just really so much better to sit and cry in the car until you can get up and maybe your face is swollen but <laughs> like I don't know but I just man I'm so done trying to pretend like things are fine or it takes energy and um but I think a lot of it is putting that one foot in front of the other and we all have a why so what is that you know is it um I mean, seriously, is it the dog? Because my dog, if he's not eaten, will jump up on my bed and lick my face and just come on. I'm hungry and I want to go outside and just what what is it that could get us get us out and what could make us feel better? And and when I say like put on a pair of jeans versus a pair of sweatpants, that makes a huge difference. <laughs> you know, like you're just getting dressed for the day. You put you put some jeans on. That's great. And, um, and I think in this case, when you're dealing with grief, like what's something that, um, you know, brings peace, not relief, but peace. Cause I've learned that there's a total difference, you know, 
I could sit and, you know, have a couple of drinks or just totally zone out and I might experience temporary relief and escape. But like, what's, what are just some things that bring peace to you and just do it. It could, whatever that is for a person, you know, for me, usually it's physical activity, but I'm learning that in grief, that's when I'm an introvert. And so, um, books are really good for me and that's, um, it engages your brain and, um, I think there's something good about that for your body. Yeah. I think to a misconception, like in a, someone's health journey is that once it starts and they see improvement, like it maintains that way. Like, and that's why I kind of had you talk because so much other thing can get thrown at you. And, and so it's fall down. Yeah. Like, like. Like one of the interviews I had, the guy ended up having heart surgery, and it, he was told that like a year after the death of his son. So like I remember him asking, um, he asked me, he's like, "Do you think there's anything related?" I'm like, "Absolutely." He's like, "Well, my cardiologist says no." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, I look at it differently," type of thing. And so I think that's where your journey, I think, can can talk to a lot of people because it's yeah, you've had a lot more darts thrown at you than I feel. I ever have and I think that's closer to probably what people's real health journey is and so they just keep telling victim of like oh well this something else is happening and something else is happening and so they give up or they don't try or right and I think that's where like just in just like instilling some of those little consistencies that you do that turn into your routine are so important because then when I do have a bad day and I'm frustrated and maybe I do have a month where I'm gaining weight or not exercising as much, not eating as well as I should, but there's deep down inside, I know what I need to do. And so there's that, you have that routine to fall back on. And um, like, I was just thinking, you know, for people who are just so discouraged, they don't even know where to start, you know, um, like if you're, you know, a lot of times people are like, I just can't give up sugar. So, okay, so maybe you could just start and, you know, instead of eating candy, what is your favorite fruit? If it's strawberries and blueberries, you just go buy a lot of them and you just eat them. Because then at least, you know, you're you're consuming the fruit versus the candy, you know, just right. like it's those little things, you know. Um, you don't want to drink alcohol as much, order a mocktail, you know. <laughs> like nobody has to know. You can order a soda water which with lime, which believe it or not is really delicious. And in my line of work... I drink a lot of soda water and lime because I can't I can't be drinking that much all, all the time and and not feel like crap. Yeah. And so um but nobody knows it's soda water and lime for all they think you're drinking vodka on the rocks, <laughs> you know. So like, you know, so just little things like that, but I think it's the um starting a routine now wherever you're at is the best possible thing because then when the trauma or crisis hits and we're all going to have some form of that at some point in our lives 
regardless because I think crisis is relative and what's um, what's really stressful on a person might not be to another person yeah. but that does not mean that that one person is not really struggling with wherever they're at on whatever they're dealing with and so if you have that routine to fall back on you can be like okay today was a crappy day but tomorrow I know what I need to do yeah <laughs> you know and you just get back up and you do it and um and all the more better if you have friends who encourage you along the way and, you know, say, hey, aren't you, like, trying to do this? Like, you know, and just have friends that will help you along the way. Yeah, so that community is going to be probably an underrated and missing piece in most people's health journey. Yeah, I, I think that it is. I even felt like as a caregiver almost um, community was a missing Peace. And the funny thing is, is now as a widow, I feel like I have a community, like a greater community that I would have, that I did not have oh, okay. when I was a caregiver. Um, and I just, and some of that I think is just the nature of the beast. Care, it's really hard for caregivers to leave their homes. Yeah. Most of the time. So take note of that for you non-caregivers. <laughs> Right. If you're not seeing those <laughs> friends anymore, it's probably not because they don't want to see you, but they're physically unable to leave the house. Like I know that was the case with my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of a hostage to the house. So. And I think even the people who know that it's okay to ask for help don't still don't always do that, you know. And so, you know, if you have a relationship with somebody step out of your comfort zone just a little bit and just let them know you're there stop by or just leave something on their doorstep you know we had a cooler on our front porch and people could leave stuff there any time of the day and because I get it sometimes you're so thankful for the help but you don't have the energy to can to talk yeah and that's okay too but you can't stay there. <laughs> That's really important. So help and leave. Right. <laughs> Just help and leave. Person is grateful and and it's good. And not not I didn't do that to everybody, but you know, it's <laughs> That can be, you know, if you have ten people stop by your house, that's that's a really draining day and you might only have thirty or forty five minutes, maybe an hour to yourself. Yeah. Out of the whole day. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot to chew on for people and hopefully provides them some encouragement and hopefulness. And if, yeah, if you're, if you're stuck, reach out and I'm sure we've got people in house that can help in that journey and Jordan can be a mentor and yeah, it's... You can go drink some fake booze in there. Yeah, just come drink fake booze with me. It's all good. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for being on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Commission Client Podcast. If you found that hopeful, inspiring, or entertaining, we would love some iTunes love. And as all podcasters request, please subscribe to our show and your favorite podcast listening app. I'm Dr. Kurt Perkins, toasting you to a life of more health and less health care.